Good morning. Um, I've been asked to preach a series of sermons over the next couple of weeks, and it's going to be on practical Christianity. Uh, This morning I'm going to be asking the why question. Uh, Why should we do practical Christianity? Is Christianity meant to be practical? Then this evening, as was mentioned earlier, we're going to have a different type of a session. It's going to be more practical. And we're going to be asking how we're doing as a church. How is the church doing at serving people in a practical way? So please come prepared to be involved with that. And then uh, next week in the morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus' life and how he um, was different and how he served, and particularly how he loved the unlovable. And then in the evening service next week, we'll be looking at some of the temptations that we'll be facing as we try and serve God as a church. Now, when Alice asked me to preach this this series um, on practical Christianity, she suggested I might want to do do it by following the book of James, um, and she also asked if I would do some more participative sessions. It's a hard word to say. Um, I did read through James, and I will use some of James through the series, but I'm not going to be following James exclusively. Um, A couple of reasons for that. One, I couldn't really find any participative sessions, uh, well, none that came out to me, um, that I wanted to use. And also, I'm aware that in some circles, people see James as a weak book in the Bible. I don't personally, but I've, I know that a famous man in church history once quoted an epistle of straw when compared with uh, Paul's letters. So I want to point out that James and the rest of the Bible agree on what they say about practical Christianity. As Christians, we believe that the Bible is inspired by God. It is God's word written. Therefore, we believe that the Bible is true and coherent. It does not teach us things that are false. It does not contradict itself. And we believe this because Jesus Christ has made himself real to us and has shown himself to be the trustworthy Son of God. He has taught us that scriptures cannot be broken or altered. He commissioned apostles to teach the church and he promised to lead them in all truth. And he has given us the spirit to open our eyes to see reality for what it really is. So we have come to receive his word as the very word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 Free from error and contradiction, Because God's word is true, because our God is not a God of confusion. Yet, for the past 2,000 years, there has been some confusion in the church as to what we should be doing as Christians. There have been swings in thought where parts of the church have thought that um, Christianity should be practical, to the point of legalism where people try and earn their salvation or buy their salvation and there's very little emphasis on our relationship with God. And there have been swings the other way as well where Christianity has been seen spiritual, as purely spiritual or intellectual and there is nothing for us to do as Christians except for pray and read the Bible. Uh, and this leads to the type of Christians who tend to shut themselves off from society and become insular. And this confusion isn't that surprising. Each group of people will be able to find verses in the Bible if they want to pick them out that they can use to back up their ideas. 
And this problem arises because we either read these scriptures in isolation or we read them out of context. We all know that there are problems when we communicate with words that can be misunderstood. And the Bible is written in words and it too can be misunderstood. Um, Let me give you an example. If I was to say, this chair rocks, I could mean this chair is a rocking chair. So it's a statement of fact, this chair rocks. Or I could be young and cool and funky and say, this this chair is young and cool and funky, this chair rocks. Or, I could also say, well, one of the legs in this chair is shorter than the other other ones, and it's a statement of complaint, this chair rocks. So, the same sentence can be used in different ways, and can be understood in different ways depending on the context. So, you may be wondering what I'm on about. What, What has all this got to do with practical Christianity, and why have I taken such a long time to introduce... Um, all of this. The reason that I've done this is because the passages I've chosen today can be taken as contradictory. I've chosen today to read from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 24, and Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 4, verse 5. And these passages, if taken at face value, can seem to contradict one another. But I aim to show that they do not. I aim to show that James and Paul actually are in agreement as to what Christians should be doing and to the fact that Christianity should be shown in our actions that should be practical. So we're going to read James first and then we'll read Romans. So James chapter 2 verses 14 to 24. Does anyone have a page number for that? In the Pew Bible? No? A page number? 1214. Okay, starting at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing to meet his, spirit, his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see, a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. So we're just going to highlight some of the key statements from James um, and some of the ones that might look like they're contradicted in Romans. So, firstly, James questions, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deed? So he questions if you can have faith without deeds. 
He says that faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. He says that you can show your faith by what you do. And he asks, wasn't our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did? And he says that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And I'll read through the Romans passage, Romans 3, 21 to 4, verse 5. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, just because I find it easier to get my tongue around some of the words in it. And um, you can follow me along in the Pew Bibles, or you can just listen in, whichever you prefer. But now God has shown us a different way of being right in his sight, not by obeying the law, but by the way promised in Scripture long ago. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins, and we can be saved in the same way, no matter who we are or what we have done. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet now, God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by taking away our sins. For God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. God was being entirely fair and just when he did not punish those who sinned in former times. And he is entirely fair and just in this present time when he declares sinners to be right in his sight because they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is based not on our good deeds, it is based on our faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, God is not the God of the Jews only, is he? He is also the God of the Gentiles. Of course he is. There is only one God. And there is only one way of being accepted by him. He makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What are his experiences concerning this question of being saved by faith? Was it because of his good deeds that God accepted him? If so, he would have something to boast about. But from God's point of view, Abraham had no basis at all for pride. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, so God declared him to be righteous. When people work, their wages are not a gift. Workers earn what they receive. But people are declared righteous because of their faith not because of their work. So these are some of the key things that uh, Romans says, or Paul says in Romans, about um, faith and works. He says we are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus, when we have faith in Jesus to take away our sins. Our acquittal is based not on our good deeds, it is based on our faith. We are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. It was because of Abraham, 
He asked, was it because of Abraham's good deeds that God accepted him? He says, no, it's because of his faith. He says that people are declared right, righteous because of their faith, not because of their work. So, looking at this very, as we take one passage and one passage, it does look like they can contradict one another. James says that Abraham was declared righteous by his works um, and not by faith alone. And Paul says that Abraham was declared righteous by faith alone and not by the works of the law. I believe that the problem here is due to a different use of words in different contexts. It's a bit like our chair that rocks scenario. Um, They have different uses of the words faith and work here. And I'll attempt to show that to you as as I highlight some of the different bits of passages that they use. But firstly, the context. Paul is speaking to a group of people who, um, they're they're Roman Christians, they're Gentile Christians, but they're having a problem with Jewish Christians who are telling them that they have to become Jewish in order to become Christians. Um, In some of Paul's letters he called these people Judaizers. And basically, these people are telling the Christians that they have to obey the letter of the law, including circumcision and everything, in order to become a Christian. And Paul is saying, no, that's not the case. Um, It's through faith alone. Whereas James is dealing with a group of Christians who have the idea that simply believing that God exists is enough. That faith does not require any action. That when we become a Christian, no no change needs to take place. So um, they're speaking to different groups of people with different needs. Um, And now we're going to ask the question, what do they mean? And I've got four questions to try and answer this that I'm going to try and answer. Firstly, is Paul totally against any kind of works? He's saying that our good deeds don't save us, so is he against work in general? Um, Does he mean that there is no change necessary when we become Christians? Is James saying that we are saved by what we do without any faith? Can Christianity be practical? And are we supposed to live by action or by faith? Now, I don't believe that Paul um, is against any type of work um, when you become a Christian. If, uh, for example, the first place that we meet Paul in the Bible is in a book called The Acts of the Apostles. These are, it's a book all about the Acts of the Apostles, what the apostles do to spread the good news about Christ. And Paul, in in some parts of his letters, even says that he works harder than any of the other apostles. So Paul is clearly not against hard work. Um, Listen to some of the other things that Paul says about faith and works in his writings. Romans chapter 15, verse 17 and 18. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. To bring Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. So Paul is clearly saying that part of the aim of Christianity is to bring people to obedience. Obedience is an aim of Christianity. He's also saying that uh, he accomplishes this with the Gentiles, not just through what he says to them, but also through his actions before them. So he clearly shows that his actions uh, need to match what he says, and he also shows that obedience is a necessary part of becoming a Christian. Paul also talks uh, to the Corinthians in, uh, sorry, to the Christians in, in Corinth, 
about building on the foundation which Christ um, has laid. And he says that this work is necessary and it will be tested. He says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, or costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he built survives, he will receive a reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. And to the Galatians, another group of people that Paul warns against trying to earn their salvation uh, through works of the law, he says this. He says, But by faith we eagerly await, through the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And for me, this is a key verse. This is a verse that shows that Paul does not exclude action from faith or faith from action. In fact, I believe that Paul is saying here that the faith only has value when it is shown through loving acts. If there is no love, then you have to question the value of the faith. We all know the passage in 1 Corinthians 13, which is often read at weddings, where it talks about um, without love, nothing has value. And this is part of what it says. If I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. So what is Paul talking about in the passage that we just read earlier? If he's clearly for works and he's for faith, what is he against in the passage that we read earlier? Paul is talking about people who are trying to earn their salvation through obeying the letter of the law. Uh, Paul points out earlier in the book, sorry, I've skipped forward there. Paul points out earlier in the book that we are all sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Uh, So all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we know from his writings and the writings of many other writers in, in the Bible that the wages of that sin is death. So it's clear that none of us can earn our salvation because if we're all sinners and we've all already sinned, then no matter what we do, it's not going to make us not sinners anymore. We are still sinners. We have sinned. And the wages for that sin, even one of them, is death. So we cannot earn our salvation. That can only be paid with the price of death, which was done for us on the cross by Jesus. We cannot go go back in time and become perfect and earn our salvation. In Christianity, unlike other faiths, um, our salvation or uh, we don't earn our salvation in the same way. It's not a matter of balancing how much good we've done against how much bad we've done. And if our good outweighs our bad, then we're saved. No, our salvation is different. We are saved through faith in Christ because he paid the price for us. He earned our salvation. But what is Paul's definition of faith? Is it merely an intellectual belief that God exists and that he sent his son to die for us. I don't believe it is. Paul clearly links faith with action. We already read that uh, verse um, in Galatians where it told us that faith needs to express itself in love. And if we look in Romans, the same book that he talks against working for, uh, for salvation, salvation, Romans chapter 14, 
Um, Paul starts talking about what we eat and whether or not that causes us to sin, and he says this. But if people have doubts about whether they should eat something, they shouldn't eat it. They would be condemned for not acting in faith before God. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Basically, what Paul is saying here is that if we do something that we believe is wrong, we are not acting in faith. Uh, What we believe needs to be shown by what we do as well. What Paul is against is people thinking that they can earn their salvation through works of the law. He is clearly not against working hard as a Christian to serve God and represent him. Chapters 12 to 15 of Romans are all about our spiritual acts of service to God. I defy any of you to read Romans or to read any of Paul's writings and to come up with the idea that Paul is against work. What Paul is against is earning salvation, not effort. And this is what one famous writer, Dallas Willard, wrote a lot about um, spiritual growth. And he says that grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. We cannot earn our salvation, but that doesn't mean we don't put any effort in as Christians. This brings us to our next question, which is, is James saying that we are saved by what we do and uh, not by faith alone? Or not by faith? No, James is saying the same as what Paul is saying here. James is saying that our actions are shown by what we do. Our actions show what we believe. James is not saying that Abraham was saved by his actions alone, but he was saying that his actions showed the faith that he had. And James is not saying something new. Jesus said it himself. He said, you can tell who they really are by what they do. Do people pick grapes from bushes? Do they pick figs from thorns? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, is thrown in the fire. You can tell each tree by its fruit. So how do we know that Abraham had faith and believed God? Is it by what he said or by what he did? Abraham showed his faith in God when he was prepared to leave his own homeland to go to a land that he didn't know. He didn't even know where he was going. Uh, God asked him to go and he went. That was an act of faith. Um, When Abraham came back up from Egypt after a drought in the land and he was deciding where to live, he and Lot were no longer living together. Lot chose where he wanted to live, but Abraham asked God and trusted God to show him where was best for him to live. And when it comes to Isaac, um, Abraham was prepared to sacrifice his child of promise, the only one um, that was going to bear his descendants and his fruit, the one that was promised to him by God, um, because God asked him to, knowing that God knew best, knew that God was all good, all powerful, all knowing and all loving, and that if he asked him to do it, he had a reason for it. We know that Abraham believed God because of the way he acted. Would anyone be able to say the same about you or me? Do our actions show that we have faith in an all-loving, all-good, all-knowing, and all-powerful God? 
This brings us to our next question and almost negates our need for it, but I do have something to say. Can Christianity be practical? At this point, we could almost ask the question, can Christianity exist without action? I believe that Christianity is practical. It requires acts of faith. But I do not believe that acting like a Christian makes us into a Christian. Let me illustrate my point. I'm using an illustration that Martin Luther used. Um, He says, An ape can cleverly imitate the actions of a human, but he is not therefore a human. If he became a human, it would undoubtedly be not by virtue of the works by which he imitated man, but by virtue of something else. namely an act of God. Then, having been made human, he would perform the works of a human in a a proper fashion. Paul does not say that faith is without its characteristic works, but that it justifies without the works of the law. Therefore, justification does not require the works of the law, but it does require a living faith which performs its works. The Bible tells us, in fact Paul tells us in the Bible, that when we become Christians we are a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So if we could just act right to become a Christian, Christ would not have had to come and die for our sins. That would negate the need for his death. It is only through Christ's death and his resurrection that we are able to be born again. Again, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, he says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can be shown, can show us more and more kindness and forgiveness? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we became Christians and were baptized to become one with Christ, Jesus, we died with him? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, By the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. What he's saying is that we should act differently as Christians because we are different. We are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's the same as the monkey becoming a man. We are no longer the same as we used to be. We are now new people and that should be shown through the way we act. Christianity is not something that we try to do. Christianity is who we are. If our actions do not show that we are new creations in Christ, then we need to really question whether or not we have a living faith. Now, I'm not trying to scare any of you and to say, um, as soon as I become a Christian, I didn't become a perfect Christian. Um, That doesn't happen. The Bible talks about us being born again. So we become spiritual babies So we are born again, we are new creations, but there is still growth that is required. Paul talks about training ourselves for godliness. Peter talks about adding to um, our faith in stages until we reach love. And um, Jesus talks about entering the kingdom of heaven being like a mustard seed that you plant in the ground, it becomes the biggest of garden plants. So there's a big change that happens, but that doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. That growth takes a long time before the small seed becomes the biggest of garden plants. 
The point is that um, when we become a Christian, change should be happening. There should be fruit being born. There should be growth happening in our lives. There should be a difference. This brings us to our final question. Are we supposed to live by action or by faith? come to the conclusion that we are supposed to live by faith that is shown through our actions. It's very clear from scripture that we are supposed to live what we believe. In fact, all of us already do this. If you think about it, if I can intellectually believe that a plane is a safe way of flying, but if I don't truly believe that within myself, I'm not going to get on a plane and fly in it. So we live by what we really believe. what's really within us will be shown through our actions. If I believe that a plane is safe, I will get onto it. But if I don't really believe that, I'm not going to get onto a plane and fly. If I don't think that however many tons should be in the air, then I'm not going to get onto it. (laughs) And and it's the same with anything. It's the same with our attitude to God. If we believe, if we truly believe that God um, can take care of us, that he's in control of us, um, then... We should be living our lives committed to him and showing that we believe that. Um, if I believe that I need money more than God, then most of my time will be spent looking at how I can earn money and how I can um, make myself secure in that. But if I believe that God provides my security, then my life will be different from that. So when Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, I will look after you, do we trust him? Or do we trust in our own abilities to look after ourselves? One writer says this. This isn't the quote. I've missed this out. One writer says this. Works of the law are outward acts of ritual for the purpose of receiving merit are no value for attain. Sorry. Works of the law that are outward acts of ritual for the purpose of receiving merit are of no value for attaining salvation. However, those who trust and obey the Lord Jesus Christ will produce works that are motivated by the Spirit that will serve to build up the kingdom of God through evangelism of the lost, the edifying of the saints, the glorification of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. If those works are not evident in the life of a professing Christian, then their level of trust and obedience in Christ is suspect. So let me sum up. When Paul talks against works as a way of receiving salvation um, or receiving justification. He is talking against works of the law as a way of earning salvation. Paul sees faith as something that will include acts of faith. Remember he said, um, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. When James speaks in defense of works as part of salvation, uh, he's talking about works of faith not works of the law. Not to earn our salvation, but to prove that we have faith. James is not saying that we can earn right standing with God. He is saying that if we believe in God and the fact that Christ died for our sins, then we will not continue to live and act in the same way as we did before we came to that faith. When we started this morning, I started by asking the question, why should Christianity be practical? I believe I've answered this in two ways. There are many other ways to answer it, but I've answered it in two. I believe that we answered it firstly because our faith is shown through our actions. 
what we do proves what we believe. And secondly, um, I've answered it using the fact that when we become Christians, we are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. Therefore, we no longer act in the same way because we no longer are the same people. We are no longer citizens of the earth, we are citizens of heaven. We act differently because we are different. This brings us to our final song. God forgave my sin in Jesus' name. I've been born again in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, I come to you to share his love as he told me to. This is a simple song, but I believe it covers everything that we have been talking about today. It covers the fact that we cannot earn our salvation. It's a free gift from God. God forgave my sin in Jesus' name. It covers the fact that it is through faith that we receive new birth uh, and this gift from Jesus Christ. We are born again in Jesus' name. And it covers the fact that in becoming new creations, we ought to serve God as he told us to. In Jesus' name, I come to you to share his love as he told me to.